Welcome to the Build for Rent podcast. It's a beautiful day here in Provo, Utah. I'm Steve Olson here with Chase Levitt and Sherida Zanger. And there is a topic that we want to cover quickly today that I think is one of the very most important. You want to do Build for Rent. I'm not going to assume you're running a charity. You want to get paid. At some point, you want to get paid. Now, if you're not in it to get paid, then I don't know what to tell you. But if you do, the most key thing to figure out is how do I know what my exit strategy is, right? That's the payday. There's some paydays along the way, depending on how you structured your, your build for rent, right? For example, if you're doing it for yourself, right? You're just building a couple of properties, your paydays or your rental income, refinance proceeds, sales proceeds at some point down the future. Uh, what if you're doing a build for rent to sell? That's your, that's your exit strategy, right? You're going to sell it right out of the gate. What if you syndicated a build for rent. So you've got multiple profit centers along the way. You've got your promote, right? Your developer fee. You've got your refi proceeds. You've got your cut of your waterfall distribution at the end when you sell the property. So there's a lot of ways to to exit something that's built for rent. We wanted to kind of play around with that a little bit today and maybe get you thinking a little bit about some different ways that you could exit your, your build for rent property. Welcome to the Build to Rent podcast, the first ever real estate show dedicated exclusively to helping investors go from raw dirt to a cash flowing rental property. Whether you're looking to do a massive syndication or a one-off rental property, the Build to Rent podcast will help you get there. Our hosts, Steve Olson, Chase Levitt, and Sherida Zanger bring together more than 4,000 properties of experience as they break down how to find and finance projects, make the most of market and tax strategies, and maximize the returns of a build-to-rent portfolio. This is the Build-to-Rent Podcast. And now, today's episode. Number one, let, let's talk about, let, let's start small here, Right. If somebody is going to build a, their own rental property, something that I'm seeing is being more and more popular as they build a brand new Airbnb, right? That you're seeing a lot more of that. And I don't think that we've seen even close to what we're going to see. But if it were you two, what would you be thinking about in terms of an exit? How long you want to be in? How you're going to sell? What's on your mind there? Well, when I think of an exit strategy, I think of the first thing that comes to mind, it, it can vary depending on investor to investor and and who that person is and, and what their goals are and what they're trying to accomplish. Are they looking to exit and sell and, and collect their income or their, their profit in that property? Do they want to put it in something else where they can have more doors? Or are they just looking to collect their capital where they can maybe build their dream home? There's just a lot of different ways we can spin this depending on that person, depending on what their goals are and, and what they're looking to accomplish. Yeah, I think that's a key thing too. What is your end game, right? What are you trying to, how much passive income do you want? What, what is that goal at the end? And then let's walk it backwards a little bit. But I think as far as, you know, an Airbnb and exit strategy, obviously you're going to want something that is, if you're building it yourself, it's new. And maybe you have an idea that, hey, at 10 years, I want to flip out of this. I, I want to get into something new or in a different phase of maybe the same project. I don't know. I mean, some people want to flip out a little bit quicker than that. But, yeah. but when it comes to exit strategy and when you sell property, at least for me, when I sell property, if I'm going to sell a good asset or something that's performing, cash flowing, great cap rate, I'm going to sell it and put it into something that is hopefully better. 
right? You don't want to sell that and go to something worse. So I'm always looking for opportunities and deals out there. Yeah, and maybe your strategy is hold on to this right now and then just wait for the next opportunity to present itself. You know, I know we were talking yesterday when we had met up. I was out of town this past week, and one of the gentlemen said, geez, if I would have bought 20 acres, you know, in my hometown when I was growing up, you know, 15, 20 years ago, think of how much money I would be sitting on. Well, the truth is, is you need to buy something now because you're going to say that in 15 to 20 years down the road. So maybe your strategy is, I'm just going to buy this to hold it until another opportunity presents itself. Because there's also the strategy of, hey, I could do a cash out refi, or I can do a HELOC on that and get into something else if there's enough equity in that property, right? So that, I think there's mm-hmm. a few different ways to look at this. But yeah, it depends on the person. It depends on their goals. Some people might not have time on their side yeah. to sell and sit around. Some people might want to just keep their property or get cash flow because that's where they're at. They're looking for retirement money. And maybe they're in a position that they can't get more loans down the road, so they're trying to get as many as they can right now. Talk about get more loans, because I'm not sure everybody would understand what you mean by that. So if you're doing conventional Freddie or Fannie financing, you're only allowed 10 loans in your name. Now, you can do this two different ways. So you can have you and your spouse on the loans together, and you can get 10 loans. Or if your spouse has income and you have income, you could potentially get 10 loans yourself, but you max out at that, those, at that 10 loans. After that, you'd have to go commercial or pay things off. So people like to take advantage of that financing because they usually have better terms, a 30-year fixed, a lower interest rate than something that's commercial. Yeah, yeah, we could talk about this a long time. Now, because Chase and I are working a deal right now where that's the case, you mind if I air out some some of this deal, right? Yeah. He made a face, so he might mind a little. I'm like, which, which yeah, deal? Preston, yeah, which I'm not sure. The edit button ready. But no, you you found yourself making money, um, an offer you couldn't refuse on some land. You sold it, and you've got to do a 1031. Yeah. And I had a listing on a duplex, and it's an okay deal. You could find a better deal, like if you waited for some of the new construction that we usually do, but you're up against a clock. Exactly. Right. So yeah. your exit strategy on this one we're doing together is park the money, protect it from taxes. Reset my clock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until something different comes along mm-hmm. and then you can reevaluate at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased when it comes to new construction fig. I know what those numbers look like. I've been through it before. I know what that risk is and I feel like there's great opportunity there. And so if I see something comparable, whether that's the next opportunity or something else, when the timing's right, that's when I plan to, to exit or, or yeah. reposition. That's a big thing to consider at exits is taxes. 100%. I mean, that drives so much of the market. I get, I get 10 emails a day of, hey, buy this CVS, buy this car wash. Yeah. And it's a mediocre cap rate. But if you're looking at a tax bill of $700,000, would you buy that car wash to make 1200 positive cash flow a month and not pay? $700,000 in taxes? Absolutely. Why yeah. wouldn't you? Would yeah. you rather pay Uncle Sam or would you rather have yourself have an income producing property mm-hmm. and be able to write those taxes off? Yeah, De- definitely. And that's definitely. how I felt about that duplex. I'm glad you brought that up. I don't feel like it's the best um, cap rate or cash flow, but to be able to get some income for the next three to four to six, eight months, whatever it is, versus having sitting with the accommodator makes, makes sense. Well, and it can only sit with the accommodator for so long. Right? Yeah, yeah. But, that, yeah, that as well. Yeah. I think the big thing too was him being able to reset his clock, right? Yeah. 
being able yeah. to reset that 1031 clock. You only have 45 days to identify after you close on the departure property, and then you have 180 days mm-hmm. to close on that. So there, yeah. there is a tight window there. Yeah. So uh, a thought that just came to me, you know, we were talking about Airbnb for a second and vacation properties. And we're dealing with this. I'll make an observation, and then I'll talk about something that we're dealing with right now that's kind of a pain in the butt. But um, the kind of property that you build might choose your exit strategy for you. Generally speaking, I would favor constructing properties that give you multiple off-ramps, right? Lots of different ways that you could potentially exit in the future. For example, I closed on a 32-unit townhouse project in Phoenix. We're going to plat this as 32 townhouses, right? Not as one entire um, one entire subdivision. So, or I'm sorry, one entire project. So that way... In two years, is the price of a single townhome really astronomical? Do we want to just pick the, pick these off one by one and gradually sell, right? We want to have that option available to us. I took my family on vacation, was it last fall, to the Florida Panhandle, Destin, which is awesome. But I saw so many vacation properties down there. And we would walk from the place we were staying at to the beach, and I saw probably five or six really big new vacation properties, single family homes, but they looked kind of like a a glorified apartment complex, right? There's five family cars parked out there. It's a family reunion. And that builder built that thing as a value engineered box, right? It was a built as a vacation property to maximize bedrooms and maximize income per night for all these families that year round go to Destin and want to live close to the beach. And that's great for his income, right? He's going to maximize that, that charge he can get. Mm-hmm. But what, yeah. what about when he goes to exit, right? Is the vacation market good? Is it bad? Can he really sell it to somebody that's just going to live there? What is that? That exit is kind of fuzzy depending on what the vacation economy looks like, isn't it? Absolutely. Here's what's fuzzy. Remember COVID year, year and a half ago, 2020? Yeah. And things were on lockdown for a little bit. What was that? March, April. Vacation rentals. We've brought up St. George before. You're talking about Florida. I thought those were going to get hammered. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, no, no one can go anywhere. They're in trouble. A couple months later, they're killing it down there. I know for St. George, and I, I can only imagine in other locations within the U.S., same thing. Yeah. So you could get a huge curveball, whether it's COVID or something else that you can't foresee or you don't know. That could either hurt or help uh, Airbnb or vacation rentals. Yeah, you don't know what to do on those black swan events. Go ahead, uh-huh. Sheridan. Yeah, that was interesting. I had would just had a conversation with some friends, and they picked up two homes down in Scottsdale, Arizona. And they said they purchased them when the pandemic hit, and people were panicking because they were Airbnb, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they were panicking, thinking, oh, I'm not going to have any income. He said he picked these up, rehabbed the heck out of them, and he said they're making $30,000 a month per home just doing Airbnb on it. He said, we couldn't have got in at the better time. But he said, now go try to find something. You're not going to find something because every the prices are skyro- have skyrocketed right now. Yeah, cash is king when those black swan events <clears throat> do happen. Mm-hmm. But who would have thought? I mean, yeah. same thing, yeah. right? You would have mm-hmm. never thought that that would have changed that market. That, that vacation home panic uh, was a lot shorter lived than I thought it was going to be. I think it probably lasted a lot longer for hotels, given the nature of what a pandemic is. 
uh, during spring break of 2020, my family, you know, that was a, a bad time, but we got in the car and we drove to Scottsdale and we stayed in an awesome Airbnb for like nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. And we've since looked at it. It's like six times more per night than what we paid for it in April of 2020. Right. So, well that, so that just illustrates a point of the kind of product you build may determine your exit for you. We've got this big fourplex project in Phoenix that we've been getting ready to start construction on early next year. And I got the news from our development team that, and this, this is hotly debated as to how this happened, so stay tuned. But apparently the city isn't going to let us plat this as fourplexes anymore, or maybe they never were. We don't know. And this means that we have to start all over with a new subdivision plat. It's going to take at least a year, and nobody wants to do that. This thing is queued up and ready to go. We've got clients ready to buy it. The solution is to record this final plat as a condo plat, right? Which means the HOA over the entire property is going to be the owner of the ground. The owners of the properties themselves still have fee simple condo real estate. They can sell their quote unquote townhome, but they don't own the ground. It's kind of silly because it's said, well, that means you can't knock over and build something new because you don't own the ground. It's a townhome project. You were never going to knock it over anyway. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, that limits exit. Would, you, would one of you elaborate on how that exit gets limited? Mainly by the financing. I know we talked about how this project's going to work. It's being built as income producing. So it, they're all rentals. And if you want to go, again, Fannie, Freddie, conventional financing, a lender's not going to lend on that because you have to have 50% has to be owner-occupied. Yeah. And that's not going to be our project. So this project then takes a little bit of a turn because we have to go conventional or commercial, excuse me. So do commercial loans on this or cash. That actually doesn't hurt this project too bad because we are in an opportunity zone and those people that wanted to take advantage of that can take advantage of that. They'd have to use commercial financing anyway, but it does it. It changes up who you're going to sell to and limits it. Where some of our other projects, you've been able to sell to owner occupied or sell to somebody, you know, that can use conventional financing where this one is going to be strictly commercial or cash. Hey, Preston, let's remember that Preston's our silent um, boss behind the mixer board here that you never get to see, but we should do a episode on opportunity zones. I think that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's basically if you record it as a a condo plat and everybody that bought it has to use commercial financing when Bob, the investor wants to exit per the title of our episode. Occasionally we like to remind ourselves what we're supposed to be talking about but when he goes to exit, the person that buys it from him either has to have cash or commercial financing. It's kind of like the grocery store. You going in there and saying, hey, I want to buy this loaf of bread. Can I pay you with Visa, MasterCard? They say, well, we only take American Express. You're still going to sell it, but you did limit the amount of liquidity, the amount of buyers for the product. So what you build physically or sometimes legally in this case could potentially limit your your exit strategies. Yeah. Yeah. So we can transition then and we can look at going we can look at going bigger. Right? We're going to do a big project, maybe a partnership or a syndication where we have multiple investors. You are what's called the general partner, right? You're driving the ship and there's a whole bunch of things you have to do with the SEC in order to make this legal, so we're not telling you what you should or, or shouldn't do there. Talk to your attorney about that. But when we talk about exiting a syndication, the traditional model is we bought an asset, 
It might be an apartment complex that's really old and run down, or it might be land that we build an apartment complex on or a bunch of homes, right? And then we go through construction. We get a certificate of occupancy, which means it's done. We then lease it up. And upon lease up, we've got some, a couple of directions that we can go, right? It's fully leased. You have taken all the risk out of the balloon. At this point, there's big investors out there, LifeCo's and REITs and people like that that are going to pay top dollar. A fancy way to say that is a compressed cap rate, right? They're willing to pay a lot of money because you took all the risk out of it. And that's your exit strategy. And that whole process is probably going to take you three to five years at some point. But kind of along the point of what we talked about with Chase earlier, what if you don't want to do that? What if everybody in your partnership is willing to stay in longer instead of selling? Let's refinance, right? Mentor of mine used to say, refi till you die, right? There's no taxable event. You pull the money out, you take advantage of that, and you're good as long as you didn't refi over you know, to the hilt. Now, the good news on commercial financing is they won't let you refi to the hilt. There has to be what's good, called a good... Um, debt service coverage ratio there, which that's a fancy way of saying there's more than enough money coming in to cover your debt and that, and then some. So you can, you know, sell it, you can refi it. Something that we've started to see a little bit more of, and I'd love your comments is, could you sell it at C of O when it's done and it doesn't have any tenants in it? Is there any interest in that kind of thing? You could sell it before C of O, technically put it under contract if you're using our model because Mm -hmm. our buyer is carrying the construction loan, right? So yeah, you can sell that or put it under contract. And then once it has CFO, you can close on that unless it's a cash buyer and they want to take that out. But yeah, there's absolutely people that will take it on and assume that risk of getting that tenant in place because they know that it's a good deal. I mean, I'm doing a deal right now in Provo that's like that and there doesn't seem to be any problem with it. So yeah, I mean, it's a way for the investor to get some of their gain out of it. And then 1031, maybe they want to buy one or two other properties with it, 1031 into it, or maybe they just did it to make a little bit of cash. They're going to you know, pay taxes on it, and they're okay with that. I have a call with two institutional investors tomorrow, both of which are interested in buying C of O's, right? Because I think what that, that's a symptom of is the volatile construction environment, right? The cost of the land, the cost of the dirt. A C of O is something that's relatively quantifiable, Here's how much it costs. And they can manage their own risk from there. But they're just not willing to take on the construction risk, which is getting to be more and more every single day. If the microphones were on before this podcast, you would have heard us ranting about that because we're getting clobbered with it in, in Idaho right now. Construction yeah. risk, right? So, <clears throat> And okay. I think you're able to sell at a little bit lower of a cap rate at that point. I think some of those investors are going to come in, be willing to take a lower cap rate knowing that you... The risk is out. Mm-hmm. Where, well, most of it is. They'll take the lease risk. Yes. They don't want to take the construction risk. Yeah. But that's the big money. Like you talked about before, the bigger projects that you take on and you finish and stabilize, or if you're selling off the CFO, they're willing to come in and buy more because that's the big money. Yeah. And the big money is okay with, with buying a lower cap rate from yeah. what I've seen. I have my brother, um, his father-in-law, and I'll keep the details fuzzy because I didn't get their permission, but he works for a state government pension and they buy big pieces of commercial real estate and multifamily properties and they'll, they'll pay top dollar. I mean, they underwrite it like crazy, but when you're talking about managing billions of dollars in a pension, 
right? And you want to place that money and earn a few percent a year on your money. To them, that's great. They want low drama. They want a return on their money. They got to keep those billions of dollars working. So that's an entirely different problem than somebody who's flipping out of their Airbnb house that they they built in Scottsdale. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I think that'll do it for now. That was uh, that was some good stuff. I would rate that a, you know, a better than average build for rent podcast episode. Don't go back and try to find out what's below average. <laughs> we won't tell you, but uh, thanks everybody for listening. We'll catch you next time on the build for rent podcast. Thanks for listening to the build to rent podcast. You are now just a few clicks away from joining our community of build to rent investors. All you have to do is follow our show on Facebook, LinkedIn, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can also watch this episode and more by subscribing to the Build to Rent podcast on YouTube. The information presented in this podcast is general in nature. Nothing in this presentation should be construed as financial advice or recommendations for any particular situation. The hosts are only licensed to provide advice and services in the states where they are specifically licensed. And listeners should seek the advice from an appropriately licensed professional in the area where they invest. The examples presented in this presentation are for illustration only, and no guarantee that similar results can be achieved, since the facts, circumstances, and participants are all different.